0: Uh, We're going to take a little bit of a break just for today from the series of sermons that I've been preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, Plagiarizing Jesus. We'll get back to that next Sunday. But today, today is just a different Sunday and I've prepared a different sermon for a different day. And I've been standing up here. I'm, I'm grateful to see you guys here. We've got a good group in church today. Good, good, full crowd in church today. But at the same time, I'm looking around the room going, where'd they all go? Right? Because it's just already today felt different to me. You know, I, I haven't been leading worship very often lately. I'm going to be doing it a little bit more often moving forward. But Hannah should have been leading worship this morning today. Like, that's how I felt coming in. I came in this morning like, where's Hannah? She should have been leading. Well, she's not here. She's, she's with access. You know, Sherry should have been leading in the prayer time and she wasn't here. Garrett should have been leading the communion time and helping us set up before service. Uh, Chuck and Maria should be sitting right back there against the back wall where they've been for like 15 or 20 years, right? Uh, Jim should be telling us bad jokes as we come in and hugging us whether we want it or not, Right? <laughs> Uh, Susan Shopper should be over here going, woo, 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 every time I say something, right? Jonathan and Hannah should be over here, and we should all be bugging Hannah about, how come you didn't sing more often? You know, that's church, right? We should be doing those sorts of things. And none of those people are here with us today, and I miss them. Do you miss them? I miss them. I miss them. It just feels different. HRCC feels different today. And I think it's important for us to just kind of sit in that. For today, and talk about that a little bit. Because this is the beginning of a new chapter in our story. This is the beginning of a new season for this church. And I think it's okay. I think it's fair. I mean, we're, I'm not saying I'm not worried, but I think it's fair to wonder what exactly that might look like and what exactly that might mean. I think it's fair to wonder about what comes next for us as we're looking ahead. Now, we rejoice, of course, in the birth of Axis Church, but we recognize at the same time, at the very same time, we can do both, right? We can rejoice in the birth of Axis Church and recognize that our church is, is never gonna be quite the same. It's never gonna be exactly the same because, well, for the most part, because of those names that I just mentioned, right? There's people that we're gonna miss. There's people, and it's not like we're never gonna see them again, but we aren't gonna be able to worship with them on Sunday mornings. It's people that we're gonna miss. There's gifts and talents that were manifest in those lives that we as a church family have come to depend upon, right? And they're not gonna be here for us at 10, 15 on Sunday mornings. Our community is gonna be different from this point forward. Some of you weren't thinking about this and now you're like, well, now I'm depressed. <laughs> but I just think it's important that we ask that question. So what's next? What's next for HRCC? Today, I want to talk to you about what I believe the Lord is asking of us as we look ahead. But in order to look ahead well, I think it's best to look behind first. We have to begin by telling part of our story. So this is just going to be a different sermon time today, and I'm going to tell some stories. Our story as a church really in a lot of ways, goes all the way back to the turn of the 20th century. In the very early 1900s, a time of, of spiritual revival was taking place in the United States. What was happening is that Christians from a variety of different backgrounds were rediscovering what the Bible talks about as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Believing Christian people from a variety of different denominations, a variety of different kinds of churches were praying for and experiencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a way that the church really hadn't seen in quite some time. And what happened was what we call a revival, a revival. There was just a rebirth happening in the lives of individuals and collectively in the church. And this Pentecostal revival is what we call it. It was born in the plains of Kansas, but it quickly took root as well in America's cities. First in Los Angeles, you know, church mission on a street called Azusa but in Chicago as well, shortly thereafter. And in the year 1914, delegates from these churches that were experiencing this Pentecostal revival, delegates from all across the country came together and they met, first in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and then a few months later, right here in Orland Park, Illinois, at at the Stone Church. And together, those delegates established a movement that they called the Assemblies of God. And Assemblies of God churches began to spring up across the country, but more significantly, because they didn't come together to just make new churches, they had a different purpose in mind. They said, we're gonna to come together, we're gonna to unite, and we're gonna make it our purpose to engage in the greatest effort of global evangelization that the world has ever seen. And so more significantly than new churches springing up, In those early years, Assemblies of God missionaries began going out from the United States and very quickly filled the mission fields around the world. And that went on for several, several decades. By the end of World War II, Assemblies of God churches had been established in in many rural communities in the United States and in many big city neighborhoods, but there were very few in the in-between spaces. We had Assemblies of God churches in small farm towns in Kansas and Nebraska in Central and Southern Illinois. We had Assemblies of God churches in Los Angeles and New York and in Chicago in the hearts of the city, but we had very few churches in the in-between areas. And so in 1951, A church planter by the name of Delmar Ross came to Downers Grove. I have his picture to show you today. Pastor Delmar Ross came to Downers Grove and he had it on his heart to plant what he called the very first suburban assembly of God. Delmar Ross came to Downers Grove, found rented space in the downtown area, a few different locations that they used. And for two years, Pastor Ross and a launch team met weekly for Bible study and for worship together, just like Pastor Garrett and his launch team are meeting together right now in, in various small rented places because they believed that this Pentecostal revival, this this movement, this new way of experiencing the fullness of the gospel message wasn't just something for farm towns and inner city neighborhoods. There needed to be a suburban assembly of God. They met together for about two years and in 1953, the church was stable enough and large enough to incorporate officially with the government to officially join the denomination. And because Pastor Ross wasn't a pastor by trade, he was a church planter by trade. That was his ministry. He went from place to place planting new congregations. He took that opportunity to tell a congregation, you need to interview, select, and elect your first full-time pastor. And so in 1953, April of 1953, Suburban Assembly of God was established legally and with our denomination for the very first time. That means that next April, spoiler alert, Suburban Assembly of God became this congregation. That means that next April we will celebrate 70 years of existence together. <coughs> That's what happened in 1953. The church continued to meet in various rented facilities, always in Downers Grove, always in this area. In those early days, they really were the only Assemblies of God church in at least this part of the suburbs. There were Assemblies of God churches in the city and a few in the collar towns in Cook County, but we were out in the boonies. We were the suburban Assembly of God people. The church eventually found a permanent home in a white cinder block building on Fairview Avenue, just across from Hummer Park. That building is still there today. Many of you recognize and see it. There's a wonderful congregation called Calvary Church of Downers Grove that meets and worships there together right now. But that was the first permanent home of suburban assembly of God. They weren't there too long, though. They worshiped there some years, but it was 1980, and they had long outgrown that building. And so in 1980... They purchased property on Hobson Road, still in Downers Grove, and they began construction on the building that you and I are meeting in today. I don't know how well you can see those from a distance, but you see our carport there and you see the sanctuary, the beginnings of the walls, the stained glass windows. Now, Cindy Rogers was a member of the church at that time.
1: Cliff and Cindy were
0: engaged to be married, she was telling me this week that they had timed things out hoping that they could be the first wedding in this sanctuary here. But how many of you know that construction plans rarely go according to (laughs) schedule? And so rather than being the first wedding to take place here, I imagine, Cindy, you missed the deadline, didn't you? You were probably the last wedding to take place in the other building. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, yes. six to one, half a dozen of the other. But that was the time. If you have questions about that era, Cindy is our resident historian. Our pastor at that time is somebody that you, many of you know very well. Pastor Joe West. Look at that guy. <laughs> Young and full of energy. Preaching a sermon on the property where this building would someday stand. Pastor West served this congregation for 38 years. Before his retirement in 2012, Uh, parenthetically, uh, as best I can tell in researching history and the records of this church, I am the 10th pastor that you have had. Pastor West was the ninth. Pastor West was here for 38 years. I've been here for 10. He and I account for 50 out of the 70 years that you guys have had. Um, You've gotten lazy at finding new pastors. (laughs) Of course, by 1980, by 1990, I should say, and the late 1990s in particular, this had long since ceased to be the only suburban Assembly of God Church. There are Assembly of God Churches in towns all around us, in Lombard and in Elmhurst, in Oak Brook, in LaGrange, in Naperville, in in all sorts of places. We were first. We were first, but we have Assemblies of God Churches all around us, and so it was in the late 1990s under Pastor West's, Leadership that the decision was made to change the name. No longer did Suburban Assembly of God make sense. The name was changed to Hopson Road Community Church so that we could continue with that original mission of really identifying with the neighborhood that we were called to serve. Then for a long time, nothing important happened. <laughs> but today, today we reached the most recent Signpost on our journey as a church, the planting of a daughter congregation. today, as we 've already said, is day one in the life of Axis Church of Glen Ellen. Now there are two congregations, right? This is not a campus, this is not a satellite, this is not an outpost of HRCC. There is a new congregation in the same way that Pastor Ross in 1951 came and and planted a brand new expression of the church in the very same way Pastor Garrett has gone today and begun a brand new expression of the church of Jesus Christ. And today is that day, today is that turning point moment, no matter what our future holds. No matter what lies ahead for HRCC, October 2nd, 2022, is going to be an important turning point when our story is told. And I share this brief journey through our history because I think it's a necessary component to understand our future. It's much easier to know where you're going when you know where you've been, amen? But I also share it because there's elements to the story that I just told you that often, often remind me of another church, the church that we read about in the New Testament, in the book of Acts in particular. And it's the church in Antioch. Let me tell you a little bit about their story. In the days following the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Christianity remained primarily a Jewish phenomenon. And not just a Jewish phenomenon, a Jerusalem phenomenon. There were Jews throughout the known Western world, throughout the uh, Roman Empire, but Christianity was almost exclusively a function of Jerusalem and the surrounding communities because Jesus himself never really got too much farther than that in the time of his ministry. Christianity began small. The Bible tells us that at the time of Jesus' death, there were no more than a few hundred followers of his. There were only 120 in Jerusalem in the upper room, and maybe there were some others scattered in some of the collar communities, but there weren't too many. And it was six weeks after the ascension of Jesus at Pentecost time that the numbers in one day swelled from a few hundred followers to a few thousands followers on that day of Pentecost, right? And the Bible tells us that in the days and weeks following that, they continued to grow, sometimes by the hundreds, sometimes by the dozens, sometimes by the thousands. Christianity in Jerusalem was mushrooming, and that meant it was becoming a problem. Followers of Jesus now represented a clear threat to the power structure of traditional Judaism especially in Jerusalem. So a persecution against Christians broke out and it rose a few years later to a crescendo when a man named Stephen, a well-known leader in the Christian community was arrested and killed. It became clear to every other Christian believer in Jerusalem at that time that it was dangerous to live as a Christian. And as a result, understandably, many, many Christians fled the city. They wanted to find new places to live where they could live out their faith without fear of arrest and persecution and martyrdom. One of the places that they ended up was the city of Antioch. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 puts it this way. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Remember, primarily a Jewish phenomenon. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch, and they began to speak to Greeks also. You could insert the word Gentiles there. The New Testament often uses Greeks and Gentiles interchangeably. They spoke to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Just so you can kind of picture it, if you're that kind of person, I've included a map of the world at this time. And you can see on that map, a large star at the bottom of the map represents where Jerusalem is. And then up north above that, a star, a large star at the top of the map shows you the location of Antioch. There's about 250 miles between those two cities. It's similar to the distance between Chicago and St. Louis. You can continue to think of it in that analogy because Jerusalem is kind of the Chicago. Jerusalem is the much bigger city. And Antioch, about 250 miles away, is still a city in its own right, but it's a much smaller city. In those days, probably about half- the population of Jerusalem. It takes us a few hours by car to drive from St. Louis to Chicago or back and forth. It would have taken them several days by foot, but still a manageable journey. And so it made sense that one of the places the fleeing Christians from Jerusalem would end up would be the city of Antioch. Antioch, whereas Jerusalem is still part of the Roman Empire, it's still really a very Jewish City. Antioch, however, was a very Roman city. A lot of different cultures in the Antioch. A lot of different people coming together, and I can only imagine that the Christians that ended up in Antioch thought maybe this will be a better environment for us to blend in and stay out of the persecution that the Jews have been uh, imposing upon those who still live in Jerusalem. Unlike in Jerusalem, the Christian message in the Antioch was received by a lot of people who had no background in Judaism. The passage we read specifically mentions the Greek Islanders. This is one of the things that reminds me about the story of HRCC. It's the gospel message breaking forth out of the big city, being proclaimed to a new people in a new way, in a new place. Antioch wasn't a suburb, of course, but like suburban assemblies of God, it represented a new frontier for the distinct message following the day of Pentecost. The leaders of the church in Jerusalem wanted to check things out. When they heard what was going on in Antioch, they heard that the Greek Islanders are accepting the gospel. Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ. The the, the Jewish leaders heard about that, and they said, we, we need to look into this and check this out. And so they picked someone to go and investigate. They picked really the most logical choice, the Bible tells us, a man named Barnabas, who was a well-respected leader in the church in Jerusalem. He was a Jew but he had experience in the Greek islands. What better choice to go investigate what was going on in Antioch? And so the Bible tells us that Barnabas went up to Antioch. He arrived and he found the church to be flourishing. And so he stayed there for a while. He gave them the leadership that he had. And as he did so, the church grew more and more, even more than it ever had. This reminds me of the part of the story in HRCC where we finally established a new home on Fairview Avenue. But God continues to bless with abundance, right? God continues to say more and more, and the church is stretched beyond its present limits, and they find that they need more, and they move, we moved to Hobson Road. There's growth happening. Barnabas stayed there for a while, and then he said, You know who needs to see this? You know who needs to see what's going on in Antioch? Barnabas remembered a a meeting that he had had several years before with a young man named Saul. Coincidentally, Saul had been part of the persecution that resulted in the death of Stephen, which is what led to the planting of the church in Antioch in the first place. Most of you know Saul is the one we're going to call the Apostle Paul. But at this point, Saul had been lying low in his hometown for several years. Nobody had really heard anything from him. But Barnabas says, I remember Saul. He's got to come see this. And so Barnabas goes off to Tarsus. He gets Saul and brings him back to Antioch. And it was there in Antioch that the Apostle Paul began to cut his teeth in church ministry. And it wasn't just Barnabas, and it wasn't just Paul. As we read through the first uh, the, the chapters of Acts that are relevant here, we find that Antioch becomes kind of a who's who of church leaders in the early years of Christianity. Over the years, some of the most important leaders in Christendom spent time, at one point or another, in Antioch. We we have Barnabas, we have Paul. In addition, Antioch was at various times home to Titus. Do you remember his name from the book By His Name in the New Testament? Uh, Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Silas, one of Paul's missionary partners. Even the Apostle Peter, for a time, Spent time doing ministry at the church in Antioch. There are other names we could go through. Some of them are a little more recognizable than others. Many of them are from the Bible, but even if we go beyond the Bible into the early pages of history, we find Antioch as a cradle for leadership in the early church. It reminds me of HRCC. Have you ever stopped to consider how many young Christian leaders serving God's kingdom in various places right now have spent time in formative years at HRCC? We, we talked this morning already about Pastor Garrett. Pastor Garrett grew up here. We, we kidded last Sunday, I hope you were here, about Pastor Garrett being a teenager having to read a Bible study and he didn't know how to find the right verse in the book of the Bible. We trained him pretty good though, didn't we? And now he's Reverend Garrett Black and he's giving leadership to one of the most exciting church plants in our area. If you've been here a handful of years, you'll remember some other church leaders that have been with us for a season but have gone on to plant churches and be a part of the growing kingdom in other places. Pastor Rachel Delgado, right? Uh, The McGarvey's who are leadership team in a church plant in Colorado right now. Oh, we didn't see him, maybe you don't all remember, Cody Batefeld, who finished his seminary days worshiping with us, did an internship here under my supervision in in the closing days of his seminary degree and is now pastoring Methodist congregations in southern Illinois. Last week, Ben Wagner was on this stage. Ben spent formative years in his childhood as a member of Hobson Road Community Church. You guys all know our very own missionary, Beth Boven, who was called to mission work, sitting right back there. Look up, Deb. <laughs> <laughs> Beth's gonna be back to visit us, by the way, a Sunday before Christmas, and then she's gonna go on to her permanent post in Bolivia. But we we're planting missionaries in various places around the world. Earlier in the history, of HRCC, Cindy, you're going to have to help us out. Those of the rest of you that have been around a little bit longer, you're going to remember names like Nicholas Peterson. You're going to remember names like Pastor Chris MacArthur. There is some worship leader here that worked for Pastor Joe in the late 90s. I, turned, I hear he turned out all right. <laughs> Probably no one has impacted more believers for Christ than Matthew West who learned how to sing for Jesus right here in this room. The kingdom of God is filled with workers who spent their formative years being discipled at Hobson Road Community Church. And that's what was going on in Antioch. Back to the scripture in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. It says, so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and they taught great numbers of people. And this is maybe the most famous thing, the most memorable thing we know about Antioch. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Remember, it was primarily a Jewish phenomenon prior to that. We didn't really have a name for what this new thing was. It was in Antioch that they first were called Christians. Now, historians have suggested that probably wasn't a very flattering term. It was probably a derogatory term that the surrounding community called them because everybody knew who they were worshipping. They were worshipping that one they called Christ, who had been executed very publicly and completely humiliated. And these people were gathering around, choosing to call him their savior and worshiping him. What fools, the community said. So let's call them Christians. In other words, let's call them little Christs, little teeny tiny messiahs running around. That's where it first happened because they knew who they were worshiping. The Antioch believers grew in their faith God began to speak to them and give them some very, very specific messages and assignments. Verse 27 says During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. God was speaking prophetically to this congregation. Telling them things about what he was calling his church to do in those days. Verse 29 says, as a result, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This was a church filled with people who knew how to listen for God's voice and they knew how to respond to it when they heard it. Moreover, did you catch it? This was a church known for its generosity. They didn't just hear God's voice and say, oh, thank you, Lord. Isn't it great? We we love the charismatic gifts. We love the prophetic word of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Aren't we spiritual and aren't we cool? Don't you wish you were like us? No, this was a church that knew how to hear God's voice and knew how to respond to it. And so they took up an offering. They said, "We, we need to do something about it. Can I tell you this? HRCC has developed a reputation. Now, some of that has to do with seniors retreat, Angie. (laughs) (laughs) But we have an even better reputation. We have a reputation as a church known for its generosity. Despite our modest size, year after year, we rank among the top churches in the nation in support of foreign missionaries. During the first year of the pandemic, when most churches were giving less, HRCC, you were giving more. We have developed a reputation. When I go to meetings, when I go to conferences, many of the missionaries and ministry leaders that I meet, they want to come to HRCC. You're the pastor in Downers Grove. Hey, could we talk about scheduling a service over there? (laughs) They want to come meet you. They want to come visit you. And not only because they think they might receive an offering if they come, But because word is out on the faithfulness of God's people here. The word is out. Some of you have become prayer partners for missionaries through the years. You know who you are. Some of you have utilized your business contacts, your professional contacts, or maybe your expertise to assist some other missionary, some other pastor, some other ministry with completing the work that God has given them to do. HRCC, you have consistently found ways to support the work of the ministry, not just here, but around the world, helping others. It's what we do. It's what we do. We do it in response to the call of the Holy Spirit, just like the church in Antioch did it. Skip over a couple of pages in your Bible, you get to the passage that I read last week from Acts chapter 13, verse 2, speaking of the church in Antioch. The word says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. And this I feel is is kind of descriptive of the point we're at today. Didn't didn't we do exactly that last Sunday? I mean, we felt like God was saying to us, set apart Pastor Garrett, put together a launch team and set them apart for the work I have for them. We prayed about it, church. We worshiped God together. We fasted over that decision. And then last week was the moment when we placed our hands on them and we sent them off. In order to get to this point, what did we have to do? We had to preach the word. We had to proclaim the gospel. We had to teach the word. We had to worship together. We had to pray together. We had to raise up some new leaders. We had to raise up dynamic young people, but we also had to be prepared to send them away and plant them in other fields as God led us. And that meant we had to be able and we had to be willing to hear God's voice. And now, just like the church in Antioch, We have to be willing and ready and excited even to face an unclear future, trusting that God will continue to bless us abundantly as we move forward. So I think it's fair to say, well, what happened next? What happened next in Antioch? Does that give us a clue as to what might be next for HRCC as we're looking ahead? Well, the next few chapters in the book of Acts, the next few pages in the book of Acts tell us that Paul and Barnabas sent off on their missions trip. And really the book of Acts focuses much more on their story rather than what was going on back home in Antioch. But eventually they did make their way back to Antioch. And when they did, that was their home base. So they would stay there for a long while. But most of you know that Paul isn't going to stay there forever. There are more mission trips in his future. There are more churches to plant There are more opportunities for the believers in Antioch to respond extravagantly to the Lord's invitation to send. As a matter of fact, on the next mission trip, it's not going to be Paul and Barnabas go take a mission trip. It's going to be Paul and Silas, you go this way. Barnabas and Mark, you go that way. The next time, it's going to be even more. The Antioch church would remain ascending church Now, eventually, the Bible tells us that a controversy arose throughout the region. Apparently, some of the Jewish believers back in Jerusalem still weren't convinced. They still weren't convinced that these brand new Gentile believers, these Greeks who liked lemon chicken and saganaki do they really belong in the church or do they have to con- do they have to convert to Judaism and do it the way we do it they still weren't convinced and they brought their complaints to the leadership of the church in Jerusalem and the leadership of the church in Jerusalem said we have to do this and so they they addressed the complaints they looked into the matter and they decided we need to make sure that everybody understands where we stand on this and where we stand is that the church will go forward unto all people. That these new believers in Antioch and in the other regions and throughout the kingdom, throughout the empire now, these are legitimate churches and we are a new fellowship, a people, a place for the spirit of God, a people for his name. This is what God has planned. But how are we going to get the word out? So they write a letter. They write a letter. And in Acts chapter 15, verse 30, it says, so the men from Jerusalem were sent off and where do you suppose they went? They went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and they delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Did you catch it? Antioch was the place of gathering. Where are we gonna get everybody together where they can all hear what God has to say about that? Where should we go? Let's go to Antioch. Antioch will be the place where we gather the people. Antioch will be the place where the Holy Spirit has gathered his people. Amen. For all the sending that Antioch had done through the years, for all the planting in other fields that Antioch had done through the years, for all the giving that Antioch had done through the years, it was first and foremost a place where the people of God gathered. It was a place where the people of God gathered. I believe God has a plan for HRCC that looks remarkably similar to the plan that he had for the church in Antioch nearly 2,000 years ago. Read back through this story. I just gave you some of the highlights, but go back through those those chapters and and read this story. Read, fill in the gaps, and you're going to see these patterns emerge over And over again, Antioch was, I just made a list for you. It was a preaching church. I I don't mean like preaching like sermons. I mean, they proclaimed the gospel. That's how the church began, but it's how it continued time and time again. The the words is, so what did they do? They preached. They preached. They proclaimed the gospel. It was a teaching church. When Barnabas first arrived, the first thing he had to do was teach the word of God. As more and more people came to faith, what did they have to do? They had to double back. They had to keep on teaching the word of God, make it central to what they were doing. It was a giving church. They gave financial relief for those who were in suffering. They gave personnel for new churches. They gave of themselves that the kingdom might advance. It was a worshiping church. Do you remember why I told you they called them Christians? It's because they knew who they worshiped. They called them Christians because they knew who they worshiped. In Acts chapter 13, when God says, set aside Paul and Barnabas, when does it happen? It happens when they were worshiping. It was a worshiping church. It was a listening church. It was the prophet Agabus, right? Who came and spoke to them, but he wasn't the only one. Time and time and time again, scripture tells us it was prophets who came into and Antioch was ready to listen. When God spoke, Antioch was ready to listen. It was a praying church. Every time something happened, what do they do? They pray. Every time. See, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking prayer is what we do before something happens. Like we pray and then we decide. No, 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 no. They would decide and then they would pray, right? We can do both. We can do both. It was a praying church. They continued to double back and say, we're going to pray again. We're going to pray again. We're going to pray again. It was a sending church. HRCC, hear this. They didn't just send once. They didn't just send Once. It was who they were in the kingdom. It was ascending church. It was ascending church. It was ascending church. How many people were there throughout that first century of the church who say, Antioch? Yeah, I used to go there. And that's where I did my internship. That, that's where I learned. That's where I learned. Titus taught me how to preach the word there. That, you know, Antioch, man, I, I love that church. I love that church. I love that church. And maybe most importantly, it was a gathering church. Even after all the going, even after all the sending, what did the people do? They gathered. They gathered. I think we're like the church in Antioch, I really do. Some of it's aspirational because we're still learning, right? We can learn to do some of these things even more, even better. But very much like the believers in Antioch, We've been doing these things for years and years and years. And now when we come to a day like this that feels like a crossroads, like it feels different. And the question is, what are we gonna do now? I believe the answer from the word of God is we are gonna keep on keeping on. Now is the time to remind ourselves that what got us here is what's going to keep us moving forward. We are going to recommit ourselves to stay in the chorus. So HRCC, forgive me if in the coming months you hear me from this pulpit and in my communications with you and in the things that we do and in our worship services together. Forgive me if you hear me beating the same old drum again and again and again. As I read the word of God, I just feel like that's the drum we have, and we're going to play it. We're going to play, we're going to preach, we're going to teach, we're going to give, we're going to worship, we're going to listen, we're going to pray, we're going to send, and we're going to gather. We're going to preach the good news. That means I believe that in the days to come, we're going to see more people saved than we ever have at any other point in history. Not less, we're going to see more. Not less, more. We're going to teach the word. I have a passion in my heart to see us develop a community of Biblically literate theologians. We're not going to be afraid of our Bibles anymore. We're going to know how to dig into them. We are going to be biblically literate. We are going to give. Oh, we've always given, but we're going to continue to give. You gave $50,000 to plant a new church. Can I tell you the joke now? You gave it to a church that had never planted a church before. <laughs> You trusted that God was doing what he said he was going to do. We're going to keep on giving. We're going to commit to generosity on a scale, not just with finances, but in every way, on a scale that we've never seen before. We're going to worship the Lord. Man, I want this church to be known as a community where God gets the glory, where nobody's famous, but where God gets the glory. We're going to listen to God's voice. We are going to welcome the prophetic in this place. We are going to welcome the prophetic because we believe according to the word of God that he's still speaking, isn't he? He's still speaking, isn't he? And so when he speaks, we're gonna listen. We're gonna pray because God's house is gonna be known as a house of prayer for all nations, isn't it? We're gonna pray, we're gonna pray, we're gonna pray, and we're gonna send. Hear me well, Axis Church marks a beginning, not an end. It's not done. There will be more missionaries. Beth Boven, you know that was a specific answer to prayer. That was a beginning. That wasn't an end. It's not like, oh, we're done with that. No, look out. Because somebody in this room today is the next missionary that's going to be planted. Somebody in this room today is the next pastor that's going to be trained. Somebody in this room today is part of the next launch team for the next church, for the next congregation. It's a beginning, not an end. We are going to send. And church, we're going to gather We are going to gather the people of God. I believe that this church community is going to grow. I believe it's going to grow. We lost 16 attenders last Sunday. We had exactly 100 people in service last week. Fortunate, work of the Lord, because that makes the math really simple. We lost 16% of our attendance yesterday. 84% left. Did I do the math on that right? How many of you believe God can do more with 84% than we can do with 100%? It's a time of growth coming for this church. And we are going to make every decision based on our conviction that that's the case. I want to tell you one last story about the church in Antioch. This story doesn't come from scripture, it comes from history, because it takes place a generation after the stories that I've already told you, several years after the final words of the New Testament are already written and in print. History tells us that in Antioch there was a man named Ignatius. He had become bishop of Antioch. There's a picture of him that are taken from a monastery in Greece. Now the word bishop means that it was his job to oversee the various house churches that met throughout Antioch and the surrounding communities. Ignatius bishop of Antioch. Now the rumor in the early church was that this guy had been among the children that were called up onto Jesus' lap. Do you remember the story when the disciples said, get away, get away, get away? And Jesus says, no, bring the children unto me for the kingdom of God belongs such as these. In the early church, the rumor was that Ignatius was one of those little boys who had sat on Jesus' lap that day. There's really no way of knowing for sure if that was true or not, but we know that the early Christians used to tell that rumors. Early Christians were good at rumors too. We're somewhat more certain that Ignatius had learned in his adult life as a student of the apostle John were somewhat more certain than it was the apostle Peter himself who had ordained Ignatius as bishop over Antioch. Now, by the time Ignatius was bishop over Antioch, Christians weren't just being persecuted by Jews. The Christian movement was now a threat to Rome as well. And so Christians were being persecuted by Rome. In fact, Rome was the main worry. Rome was the main persecutor and as a highly visible leader in the church. Ignatius was arrested and he was sentenced to die. He received kind of an unusual sentence though, rather than being sentenced to just be executed where they found him, the emperor decided that he should be brought in chains all the way back to Rome where he would be fed to the wild beasts as part of a celebration they were having there. So, Ignatius was put in change and given into a detail of 10 Roman soldiers, and they led him on a very long, drawn out journey on the way back to Rome where he would face martyrdom. You're familiar with the term dead man walking? Imagine that journey from Antioch all the way back to Rome. It took a long, long time. Along the way, for reasons we don't fully understand, those soldiers allowed Ignatius to meet with some of his followers, and they allowed him to write and send letters to some others. And several of those letters have survived. We have them today. They're an important part of our historical understanding of how the church functioned, but they also give us insight into the heart of a man who knew that the church he led was facing an important transition. They weren't going to have their pastor anymore. Time and time again, in those letters, Ignatius implores the people he's writing to to pray for his church. Pray for my church, pray for my church. In our parlance, you know what I hear him saying? I love my church, I love my church. I love my church. So he writes to people from Antioch, but he writes to people from other churches in Ephesus and in Smyrna and throughout the region. Hey, would you look in on them? Would you check in on them? Would you pray for them? Would you, send, would you send a visiting pastor to visit with them for a while until they figure things out? Because I love my church. I love my church. Would you look on after them? There's one passage that I want to read to you today from one of his letters. And, and if you'll allow me, let's just stretch it a little bit here. Could you imagine that these words were meant for us to the degree that you agree with my hypothesis that there are parallels between the HRCC story and the Antioch story? Could you imagine that these words are being written for us today? Ignatius writes this then. Take heed then often to come together to give thanks to God and to show forth his praise for when you assemble frequently in the same place, The powers of Satan are destroyed and the destruction at which he aims is prevented by the unity of your faith. The powers of Satan are destroyed and the destruction at which he aims is prevented by the unity of your faith. What's next for us, HRCC? We're going to gather We're going to come together. We're going to give thanks to God. We're going to love our church. We're going to show forth his praise. We're going to continue to preach the word. We're going to continue to teach the word. We're going to do all of the other things on that list. All of the things that have gotten us to this place. But don't sleep on what Ignatius said. Satan has tried to destroy. It's what he does. It's what he does. But when you assemble frequently in the same place, the powers of Satan are destroyed and the destruction at which he aims is prevented by the unity of your faith. We're going to gather, we're going to assemble, and we are going to see the power of Satan destroyed. We're going to see it destroyed. Perhaps today you recognize what Satan has tried to do in your life as an individual. The call of God is gather and see that stronghold destroyed. Perhaps you see today what Satan has tried to do to your church or to your family or to your community or whatever lens through which you might see that today. Wherever you recognize the power of the enemy, let's let's take a note, not from scripture today, but from some wise words from a pastor who pastored a church much like ours many, many years ago to guys Get together, because when you are together, strongholds crumble. His power is canceled and destroyed. And you will live into the purposes that God has for you. You will live into the promises God has for you. You will live into the life that God has prepared for you. Amen? That's what we're going to do. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the gospel, which breaks shackles and breaks bonds. We thank you, Lord, for the word of God by which we are trained and built up and prepared for every good work you have for us. We thank you for the story of this church, which reminds us of your faithfulness and your goodness and the call you have on us. We thank you for the story of Axis Church which will go forth into a new place and do a new thing. Lord, in many ways, what we ask of you in this place is not a new thing. It's the same thing. Lord, would you continue to be faithful to your people at H.R.C.C. Would you continue to add unto your kingdom by means of the ministry at HRCC? Would you continue to release captive people at HRCC? Would you continue to build the faith of the people who attend and gather and worship together at HRCC? We ask your blessing over this community, over this congregation, over this family. Yes, Lord, we say it often. We love our church. We love our church. But Lord... You love this church. You love this church. And it is in the confidence and the power and the assuredness of that promise that we stand and look forward to a future that is greater than the days that we have seen in the past. That is greater than the victories that we have had in the past. Lord, your faithfulness is greater. We thank you for it today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone says... Amen.